Live, live from the Toad Hop Network Studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, hello. Coming to you live, New York City, and the picture you're looking at on your screen. I hope, Johnny Ice, how you doing? Can I hear you? Can you? Can you? Uh, are yeah, you, on- you can hear me. Hey, you cutting out? Hey. You are cutting out a little. Oh, I'm cutting out. You're. Uh oh. Oh no. Uh, how about now? Sounding any? Yeah, just back away from the mic just a little bit, maybe. Wait here. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds good. Oh, wow. So nice. It's on the it's Hollywood, California, and I am coming to you from the 30, 40s on floor uh, uh, of a, a building here. In, in And you can see behind me the uh, Empire State Building and Times Square. In fact, if you squint... Well, I don't think from that picture you can see it, but the uh, the crystal ball that counts down the new year. Wonderful television action going on in a digital clock. The least we can do for the Toad Hop followers, for the Vox Populi fans, is to is to find a perch from which to broadcast this remote episode. I haven't quite figured out our technology we could show you video of me but then you couldn't hear me we could show you video of me where you could hear me out of sync but then we couldn't take calls and there's uh you can hear me but then we couldn't there's we're just trying to get our act together but um if you could see where i'm sitting now i've got a cardboard box propping up the laptop and i've got my little handy dandy uh, go for the on-the-road microphone. I think you can actually see it in that picture. Um, so hopefully – wait, did I get too close again? Johnny, you're my you're my co-pilot on this one, so you tell me how we – and feel free to chime in at any any second. Um, and yeah, I'll the, be looking. The, the picture's not up. I don't think you actually sent me that picture. I didn't? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I chatted it to you. Oh, you did? Yeah, take a look. Oh, I'm looking right now. What do you think? I don't it's s- very attractive if I – so myself, I have on a set of orange um, earphones that were borrowed from a guy down the hall. Johnny Ice, I'm sending a TV. Perfect. Email right. Uh, the audience is really going to. Do you have it or no? No. No. All right. I just, uh, I just, it's winging its way to you through the internet. All right. So. Uh, There's much to talk about. It's a little overwhelming. Let me just catch my audience up to speed. I don't usually go into details about what um, 
what I've got going on. I, I like a yeah, disembodied political head that people associate with a somewhat celebrity type figure who they know from. Uh, I have this fantasy that of the 12,500 Twitter followers that are following at host Vox Populi, uh, maybe there's a few hundred actual listeners and, and uh, of the couple thousand that tune week either live or who listen to it after the fact that, that maybe there's one or two of you in there who are uh, afraid of this show just on the strength of the political ideas being discussed. Uh, if you're out there, I'd like you to come over to my house. Uh, we're going to cook dinner for you, whatever you want. I'm not, but um, the last uh, few days, I have been moving around like my eighth grade history teacher, Miss, Mrs. Morgan, used to say, like butter on a hot griddle. And uh, I am, um, uh, my voice, I'm lending my voice, they'd say in the Hollywood Reporter, to the new Nickelodeon animated series reboot of the classic uh, comic book, cartoon, live Did you get it, Big John? I think I got it. No. Yeah. I haven't received it yet. I think it just said. According to the way it said. Um, let me know when you have it. Just chime in because yes. it's important for me to know what people are looking at. For those few people who are looking at it. Um, anyhow, so the Turtles were originally a comic book in the mid-80s. And uh, the they were sort of moderately successful. It was a satire of uh, comic books in general, but of course the guys who wrote it um, were based on comic books, so it's it's a pretty good comic book. And it's but it what really happened was uh, some toy uh, folks, some uh, toy manufacturers or, or uh, merchandising folks who caught a caught wind of it, and they just thought it'd be a great merchandising thing and they ran with it and it was really successful and the success of that drove the uh the economics for the comic and then together they uh kind of led right into the animated series which went from the late 80s to mid 90s i think they went for like eight years or something and then uh there were some live action movies that were very very campy and uh and then it's been off the air for a long time and of course during that time there was hundreds of millions of dollars of um uh giant Hey, do a favor. Will you make sure that if anybody calls in, you just jump right, just answer their call, and we'll jump right in with it? You got it. All right, cool. I still feel like I'm flying because I can't see you, so just every now and then be like my, my mom and be like, honey, do you want any uh, grilled cheese? I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm still doing my radio show. <laughs> so anyhow, they, you know, it was hundreds of millions of dollars in merchandising, and I certainly remember my little brother-in-law playing um, – with the lunchbox and his sleeping bag and Halloween costume and uh, action figures and all the other kind of clothes and pajamas and everything. And, and uh, I wasn't really a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle guy myself. But um, but anyhow, so I was seeing uh, Raphael. All four turtles are named after uh, Renaissance artists, Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. And I'm Raphael. I'm the sort of the bruiser, bad boy, 
uh, muscle of the group. And so we've been doing a ton of publicity, and this tour in New York has been uh, reminiscent for me of the Lord of the Rings days where we would just uh, – you, you just wouldn't even – your feet would never touch the ground. You could never – you know, you never knew where you were because you just – you were in a sound studio on a TV show. You were doing radio hits, and this morning I was up at the dawn doing radio uh, a radio tour, uh, you know, hitting all the drive time, morning disc jockeys, not all of them, but a, a good back uh, for seven minutes at a stretch talking about the same stuff I've just been talking about with you. So, you know, in between those interviews, I'm on my uh, I'm on my cell phone and trying to manage everything. But my preparation for this week's show has consisted of, you know, I usually get another hour or two before I start so that I can pull the um, – the links for sound bites I want and send some pictures to Johnny so he can throw them up there for people to look at. But, um, but really consisted of a robust back and forth, uh, dare I call it a 140 characters or whatever, um, with several different people. And it was, uh, I, I have that in front of me. So that, Conversation for me is the uh, the basis for the topic uh, for this week's show, and the, the topic the topic, as I saw, is kind of a conversation. I wanted to talk about the presidential election, and when I had in mind, I wanted to talk about uh, the quotes, the the uh, the secret tape, the hidden tape that Governor Romney um, was uncovered by uh, someone by way of of Jimmy Carter's or Great Great the Fourth, um, and uh, it was uh, published by that. Uh, I wonder was it a labor union gal? I don't have the name in front of me, but but anyhow, caused quite a ruckus and a, a storm. And um, surprisingly to me, it uh, snatched all the headlines. I guess it's not that surprising, but it snatched all the headlines away from the attack in Libya, which um, really. Uh, captured the imagination of, of uh, anyone patient to world affairs. It only was a massive um, uh, if, um, contend with the Panama President of the United States had to deal with an international um, you know, foreign relations crisis and potential military crisis. Um, and you know, Governor Romney inserted himself and got him in uh, uh, a little bit of trouble with even his own uh, his own base. Uh, oh, hey, the picture! Hello, everybody. That's me. I'm Sean Astin. We're in New York. Isn't it pretty? Okay. Anyhow, so Governor Romney had to um, had to kind of work through his own um, speedy reaction and and that he made. And then, uh, you know, before we really started to get a handle on who it was that um, made the Muslim video, uh, the anti-Mohammed, uh, the inflammatory, incendiary uh, video trailer for a film um, depicting Prophet in uh, Muhammad in, in really unflattering and demeaning ways and insulting ways, offenses to, to Muslims, um, before we got a chance to like really get a hold of that guy 
who who he was, that the filmmaker, how he did it, why he did it, um, whether or not if that was um, had anything really to do with the attacks, whether or not uh, you know. But before we could really hear from Ambassador Rice and the administration and the security officials who were testifying for Congress, before we could um, really get a, a, our, he- our head around what was happening in Egypt, and, and by we, I mean the. You know, before we, the conscientious, occasionally interested, um, uh, Art, I'm getting a note here saying that the audio is cutting in and out. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to use a different call-in patch and uh, start digging into some of these uh, issues here on uh, Vox Pop. Radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to SodaStream.com. <laughs> um, this is your old PBX phone system. I won't be in today. I'm feeling kind of pricey. My hardware's acting up, and I got this big hole where my features should be. And I'm tired. I think I just need to lay here today, okay? Bye. Switch to Ring Central for a cloud-based phone system. There's no hardware to set up. It's loaded with features like smartphone and tablet management, and it's priced from $19.99 a month per user with unlimited calling. Ring Central. Phone systems reimagined. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them. When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me. Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal. My independence is possible because of it. Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Sean, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there we go. That sounds a lot better. Does it sound better? Yes, much better. Okay. I'll start over. Dad, the dawn of the flood... The earth cool and man started walking up bright. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, do I need to do anything else or are we, I'm good to just launch off? You're good to launch. Go ahead. All right. So, and you'll be uh, eye chatting me as, as, or you just let me know. Just have folks pop on the line and, and uh, announce themselves or you announce them as you do it. Yep. No need to wait for me. All right. So, what I was, the basic point that I was making before we took our uh, tech break was that the entire media focus and the conversation in the country shifted on a dime, which it always does, particularly late in a presidential election. But I was so exercised about the um, the attack on our embassy and the, the murder of our ambassador and his colleagues um, that I just found the whiplash, I don't know, really upsetting. Um as we switch to the revelation of this tape, 
which came out, um, you know, in, in part and facilitated by Jimmy Carter the fourth, where uh, at a fifty thousand dollar plate lunch, uh, Governor Romney answered some questions. We'll try and play that tape in a little bit if I can even figure out how to do that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to play that stuff. So it's going to be all about me characterizing it. Um, and uh, and so there it was. He said some things about. Uh, he was asked about how. It's actually very interesting. He was asked a question that none of the reporting pays attention to. They all pay attention to the response. They don't really focus on the question. The question was, and I'm paraphrasing because, um, you know, maybe it would play, maybe this can play through here. I'm going to have to play with this. We'll take another break in a couple of minutes. But um, uh, the guy says, you know, um, how are we going to change their minds in the next two months? How are we going to change their minds? And then there, he has sort of stated in his question a little bit earlier, are people who have been told their whole life that essentially they're entitled to something. So the premise of this question was, how are you going to, in essence, appeal to people to change their fundamental approach to uh, government assistance. And Governor Romney went and just and basically said, you know, you can't. You can't. You'll never get to them. And the way he phrased it was terribly insulting. He, he basically said 40% of people don't uh, pay income tax and, uh, you know, are, believe they're entitled to everything. And, and he, you know, that we've all, uh, most of us who are interested in this kind of stuff have paid attention to it for the last week. But, um, yeah, I had a, a slightly more, uh, you know, I understand why people are outraged and I understand why uh, the comments are so insulting. But as I try and do what voters really have to do if they're conscientious is, um, is sort of guess at what they really mean. You know, you got to take people at their word, hear what they have to say, study the context in which it was said, and try and, you know, what, what was he getting at? And, you know, I think Governor Romney was conflating a bunch of uh, things when he gave his answer. He was he was really answering a political question. Uh, and the, and the, the fact that 47% of the electorate are going to go for Obama and 47% are going to go for whoever the Republican is, this is standard boilerplate reality for everyone in the political business. There's nothing new in that. But because he he injected uh, and characterized the intentions of those people, uh, meaning the people that weren't going to vote for him, uh, he really opened up a, just a huge can of worms for himself. And the independents or the people in the middle who are, are gettable, uh, and that's in the, that's in the vocabulary of all, you know, the campaigns. They just, they, it's just commonly understood. Um, you know, I think, I think might have been, um, put off by what he was saying as, as well. But sure enough, um, the timing of that the release of that tape is uh, boldly political, baldly political, um, gratuitously political, 
And I'm sure in some real conservative quarters, I didn't really see it on Fox News. I was pointing to Fox and MSNBC and PBS and CNN this uh, this last period of time over the last week, really trying to get my head around some of the complexity of these things. Uh, not that those are the best resources for it, but it's unbelievable when you're talking about images and sound and quotes and settings and, you know, um, you know, sometimes just see, seeing it in the, in the mainstream media as a way to orient yourself. But um, I haven't really seen it covered that, that it, was, it was just a, a really... You know, October surprise or pre-October surprise, which is the, you know, thing that political um, operatives understand as the as the the thing that can really hurt your opponent that you hold on till the very end when it can do the most damage to them, and then you release it. It's really great. It's really a great part of our political system. Gotta love it. You know, it's sort of like a relief pitcher. You know, you wait till your main pitcher's tired, then you bring in the relief to throw some, throw a couple of fastballs. But um Instantly, the Romney campaign countered with their own pre-October surprise, which was some sound, a soundbite from, I think, a fundraiser, some sort of gathering uh, that Obama had in 1998. In 1998. Um, I know it was this smoking gun thing. Uh, it's funny how certain things just lay in wait. You know, this this film about this anti-Muslim film came out in June or July and was just waiting to be used by people. Uh, the footage that was captured of Romney and his $50,000 plate fundraiser was captured, I don't know, two months ago and it's just laying in wait. Uh, the footage of um, the sound bite of Obama from his fundraiser was, you know, whatever that is, 12, 13, 14 years, something like that, waiting but was immediately put up. And where, where Obama, so it's just amazing that uh, people should be offended that they're, that they're being manipulated. I'm offended. I'm offended. Don't, you know, it's not like a uh, you're releasing a new product onto the market, and so you want to, as a trade secret, hold on to it until it's time so that your competitors don't come up with We're talking about the presidency of the United States. We're talking about informing the American public about uh, the character, the ideology, the philosophy, the the uh, acumen of our of our leaders. And it's like you know well, we're just going to hang on to it and spring it on people. It's just a dang insult. And I wish that um, uh, people you know. Express that before they go into their knee-jerk reactions about it and or their thoughtful analysis. So um, the substance of Obama's speech was that he he was saying that uh, he believed that government should organize itself in such a way that it could, it could collect monies and um, in an organized fashion and then uh, get it out to the people who need it. And he used the uh, the word it used to be socialism, another word that is leveled that. Uh, idea or, or, you know, approach to governance. It's leveled at uh, Obama all the time. But redistribution, which is basically uh, another, is it, is another socialist, socialism uh, buzzword, but he said, I believe in redistribution. Did I actually believe in redistribution? 
So he's very candid about that, uh, which for Republicans is a a gotcha statement, you know, because there's this thought that he definitely is um, someone whose policies, if he's not a you know a card-carrying socialist, he certainly believes in a way of governing that would uh, lead to um, you know a society of uh, of takers, as it does word right now. But um, he also then said in as much as people need it in order to have a shot. So I think it's there's real room to evaluate that concept. Like what constitutes a shot? What where should our society advantage each citizen to the best of its ability before pulling up stakes and saying, we can't help you anymore, you have to help yourself. Um, for me, it's food, shelter, clothing, health care, and a good education, but I guess that would have me, you know, in 1905 Russia or something, 19, 1920 Russia. Um, I just feel like there's so much wealth and prosperity and talent and creativity. Maybe we could do that. And maybe it would ultimately, uh, Clinton has this great quote from the... Um, he said something about how um, poverty and racism and something or other uh, inhibit growth. And I thought, wow, what a great way to phrase that, to put it in economic terms. And maybe it's true. It's certainly be interesting to hear a good argument about that. But anyhow, so um, Obama tried to put it in context, as Romney tried to put his comments in context. Um Unfortunately, the oversimplification of our analysis, you cannot judge a person based... I'll tell you what, let me, let me just shift gears on myself for a minute. There was another piece of that tape. You know, Republicans are saying, and this is fantastic, um, conservative pundits and somebody from the Romney campaign said that that tape of him and the accusations about uh, Romney as being... Um, uh, uninterested in representing 47% of the electorate, that, that he had written them off and and uh, so forth, that that had been debunked. It's a great word. Debunked. Um, you know, for people who uh, indulge or hold conspiracy theories, you know, try and try and walk down the road of investigating conspiracy theories. Uh when you when you get to the word debunked, it's just totally nullifying, you know, well, um but the word the word debunked, we have to be very careful about that word because it the sound, there's a, just the sound debunked. Debunked. It's like you can't take it back. It really is it's like it it, it almost sounds true whether it's true or not. Has it been debunked? I don't know. But if you go, hey, that's been debunked, boy, you've, you've really done a job for anybody who isn't convinced of that. They have to claw their way back to where they were beforehand when people were just evaluating it based on what they could hear and see with their own eyes. Um, so I don't think it was debunked in the slightest. I think that what was clear was, I think his language, I think Romney's language was clear. And I think um, 
you know, it, there's a, a generous reading and a, and a cynical reading about what he was saying. And then there's, you know, people who understand, you know, what's meant with that kind of language. And then, you know, people are left to figure out what it means, what those, what those feelings and thoughts and attitudes about governing mean for the people. So, but then there was something else that was, uh, I mean, there was a the thing about Israel where he just uh, um, characterized his relationship to the region and the, and the peace process and the way he was, uh, how do you say it, the way he was, uh, yeah, starting to define his relationship to it. I mean, it's the best characterization I can give it, really. Um, but somebody said something about, uh, was it the Carter and the helicopter attacks and the Iranian hostage crisis? And what if, what if that kind of thing, you know, Reagan, it's, it's popularly understood. Uh, I was just a little kid, but what I, what I know about it is that the hostages were, were released right after the election, um, which, you know, there's a lot of accusations that, that it was orchestrated and, uh, you know, and it sank Carter's presidency, uh, you know, re-election hopes, um, obviously oversimplification the way I'm describing it, but the, um, the idea was that there was a, a tr- an international diplomatic, you know, tragedy, uh, and that Reagan's campaign was able to leverage it, you know, uh, and take advantage of it, you know. And and so somebody, one of his supporters in that same tape, asked him, you know, what would you do? And he said that if something bad happened, he would absolutely endeavor to take advantage of it, of that tragedy to uh, the benefit of his campaign, which to me is way more damning a thing to have said than the standard political uh, rhetoric of what it takes to uh, get to the the numbers you need for election. Um, I mean, I I heard that and my mouth just dropped open. And I'm thinking, how how is he going to walk that back? You know, I mean, if I was his, uh, if I was a Romney spokesperson, and I had to come out and say, you know, well, clearly, maybe I would say clearly, he was not wishing that on the American people. But if something uh, tragic happened, he would be the uh, he would do everything in his power to help the situation. And he would do everything in his power to to have a, a positive impact on it. On it, I mean, I don't know how they. It's just so bad, particularly in light of the fact that the embassy was attacked, our ambassador was killed, and in those very first hours, he came out and leveled a horrible accusation at the Obama, at Obama, and at the Obama administration, and never backed off of it. And you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to sort of look at it and go, he knew that if he asserted himself quickly in that place, he would, de- he would be seen to be demonstrating and maybe would have been demonstrating leadership. Uh, you know, he, he said, you know, when something is done that wrong, you speak out with regard to the statement, the press statement that a, a lower level staffer at the Cairo embassy put out there. And, uh, 
and then you hear this comment from a couple months ago where the guy says, if something bad happens, I would do, I absolutely would take advantage of it. And you just think, well, at least he's honest about it. You know, maybe all the politicians are like that. You know, maybe uh, killing bin Laden was um, not just an important thing that happened in American life, American history, uh, to close the chapter on that, or at least, you know, I don't know how to phrase it without sounding glib, but to put a, to, to achieve closure, uh, is maybe a phrase, to achieve closure with the with our, our September 11th, which actually I can see from my vantage point, I can see right down Manhattan to where I think that's the new, um, the new tower that's going up. I think I can see it. Maybe it's just around the corner. But anyhow, um, you know, maybe then Obama, you know, I did not like the Clinton commercial where he talked about uh, decisive decision-making by commander-in-chief and making calls that nobody else would want to make. And I, I didn't like that because it felt politicizing to me. But, uh, you know, so maybe they all are, are guilty of that. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, I sure wouldn't want to be the family of some of these recent victims hearing the potential next president of the United States saying that if there's a tragedy, he would take advantage of it to get elected. It just should sound, that just feel terrible. It feel terrible. Um, Johnny Eitzer, there's, uh, we have, uh, how are you keeping an eye on those phone lines, right? Yep. I want to be, I want to be talking to my peeps. Yep. All right. Uh, let me see. I, I have, part of me wants to read through so anyway, so the fact that the attention of the country shifted radically from um, the tape, uh, the film footage from that filmmaker and the, the attack on the embassy and, and the flash, you know, the, uh, the, the, the firestorm of anti-American feelings and, and, uh, hostilities at different embassies in Cairo and then Yemen. And I think when I saw one clip on one of the things, there's actually a couple other uh, countries in that Fertile Crescent area that, that uh, where there was serious public protests and maybe they, uh, you know, there and they beat, and the United States uh, was, was uh, on a, a more defensive posture and maybe beefing up security around our, our thing. So all that's happening and boom, we're talking about a two month old tape of Ro where Romney's saying the same things that Romney always says and then a tape of Obama where Obama's saying the same things Obama says. Uh, just maybe both of them in, in an unguarded moment, uh, in a kind of a gotcha thing. Um, and so I, I sort of thought that, um, as I was looking at this show, you know, I feel like this show has, um, Taking, taking an expected turn. It's taken an expected turn. When I started the show four months ago or something, however long ago it was, I really liked the idea of taking my time and going into issues that maybe deserve important coverage but more than getting it elsewhere. So doing an episode on the Congressional Budget Office. Um, but right now, the political campaigns are, the presidential campaign is in, it's under 50 days, so it's in the final sprint and finish. And I, I just feel like I'm trying my best to keep up, to just keep up with, um, 
what's happening, the, the, the ebb and flow and breaking news and, and, you know, the, the, the drama and excitement of it all. And, and, uh, and hopefully, and I, and I think part of me is doing that because I feel like if you're going to have a political show and it's going to be the once every four year moment, when you like the president, you ought to have your finger on the pulse of stuff. And so, um, but it means that, you know, it's very reactionary. I, I, I find that a lot of the stuff that I'm wanting to cover is being covered here, there, and everywhere. Maybe I have a slightly different take on certain things. But, you know, it's an opportunity for you guys to, uh, you know, on Twitter, people launch some good statements and ideas and, and sort of challenging me. A couple of people really challenged me. Um, I want to see if I can read some of these. It's just an opportunity for you to have your voices heard and to have a conversation, and maybe we'll get some more. So I'm really counting on you guys to call in. Um, Libya's uh, embassy attack planned by al-Qaeda. Here is a YouTube footage. Let's see if I can get it. Uh, Johnny, let me know if you can hear this. I don't know if you can hear it. I like to play it. It's heating up right now. I've got the spinning wheel down. Weird. Okay, I think it's playing out of the wrong speaker. Um, anyhow, there was that. Um, I saw in a, uh, uh, a free association moment here, skipping forward from the presidential election to the aftermath and the ongoing policy um, stuff. I see you there. Send me a link and I'll play it. I just don't um, Senator McCain was interviewed by, I think, Anderson Cooper and said that he was, he could not for the life of himself explain how the administration would come out and categorically deny that the um, attack on the Libyan embassy, our embassy in Libya, was anything other than a fully coordinated attack, that it was a spontaneous um, it was it was spontaneous based on a, a crowd of people who were uh, protesting and it got out of control that kind of thing. And frankly, when he I had I had been thinking the same thing, and a couple of people on Twitter had had sort of uh, made very strident, uh, you know, kind of challenging their ethics and challenging their um, you know basically just saying that they were they were uh, guilty of I don't know what treason. Uh, you know, uh, dereliction of duty. I don't. I don't know what what how you would say it, but they're basically saying that that lying and cheating was happening. That they were lying about the and you know. And I pushed back and said, well, if we're being lied to by the administration about what happened there, is there a potential security reason for doing that, or maybe there are covert operations happening? And what do we really know is happening? And uh, you know, and and I think McCain, you know, was really pushing forcefully, but he sort of left a little door open for the possibility that that might be that, that might be happening but if it's but it's pretty troubling it's pretty troubling because it was just plain as the nose on your face that guys with rocket propelled grenades and other kinds of things w weren't just um you know it, 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 common sense i mean who knows i don't know i wasn't there but the common sense it certainly seems more credible that the, the crowd was ginned up um for something that had been sitting around for a long time. But it, the fact that the, that video had been out since um, June or July, and that it was only on September 11th, 
the anniversary, the 11th anniversary of September 11th, that it was being kind of deployed into the uh, into the the marketplace of uh, ideas. You know, in the sense that people their spontaneous outrage wasn't so spontaneous. It was it was calculated. Uh, it looked spontaneous because you know why would people do that? Like to plan it with the screaming and the burning flags, they just look hysterical when you see them on the footage there. But, but, um, but it really seemed like a coordinated attack. And then, and then, and then it is reported that likely one of the leaders, and by the way, let me just say, I think it's really important for the public to take every single thing that is reported with a grain of salt. There is disinformation campaigns. There are, and there is propaganda, there is bias, there's incompetence in reporting, there's any one of a hundred reasons to look at any piece of information that comes out and sort of go, is that true? You know, is that, is that pass the sniff test? You know, sometimes people use statements or comments or reportings as, as, uh, and those facts, they use them you know, to really support intense conclusions. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that's, uh, not sometimes I wonder, I know that that is often a very unhealthy thing to do. Having said that, there was a former Guantanamo Bay detainee who was released and may have been involved in the attack on the embassy may have had a leadership role, may have been in the front of it physically, may have been there doing it. Um, you know, and by the time we're going to press here with my live radio show, I haven't looked at the Internet in the last five or six hours, but things move fast and maybe there's some new, some new revelation. But the way Fox News was reporting it, I thought Obama's toast. If the Obama administration negotiated a prisoner swap with an al-Qaeda guy who flipped around and killed one of our ambassadors, I don't. Th I think it'll ruin his chances for re-election. And I sort of thought, you know, that was a really, um, you know, that was a kind of smoking gun political moment. And then in, in the reporting on Fox and Friends, very quietly, almost under their breath, they said the year that the guy was released, which was 2007. <laughs> it was released in 2007. So... You know, I think it's really unseemly to have the most strident political take on it have to do with, like, blaming Bush or blaming – who would you blame? Secretary Gates? Would you blame the chairman of the – who do you blame? I don't know who gets the blame for that. But, uh, or who gets the credit for it? You know, if we've got people sitting away in a jail somewhere for year after year after year without being accused of anything, we want them back. Well, they want theirs back, and I don't know how you make those decisions. I really don't. Maybe you try and evaluate, but, you know, how much fight you think the person's got left in them somehow. Maybe you get them to make an agreement of some kind. Maybe you – maybe – I don't know how you do that. But whatever the case here, if it's true, if – but I've always said if was the biggest word in the dictionary – if it's true that this guy was 
that this attack was planned and contributed to by a, a Al-Qaeda member recently out of our, not recently, but, you know, having been released from our custody. I don't know what. I don't know what. I mean, some of the Twitter conversation I've had have gone to the idea that, um, oh, it's not, you know, it's not nations that we're fighting against. And I keep waiting to hear about the Libyan government. What do we know about the Libyan government? Is, is it uh, Muslim Brotherhood? Are they they're the party that won the free and fair democratic election? I'm throwing out words, you know, and, and connecting them, but I, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know if I can... If, if real meaning can be derived from connecting those words together, what do we know? What do I know about the Muslim Brotherhood other than they're depicted as being awful? What do I know about a free and fair election that was held in Libya seconds after Muammar Gaddafi has been dethroned for the first time in however long, uh, violently in a weird, violent civil war that was bolstered by the European community and, I guess, by the U.S., and I don't know what else. But anyhow, did they in any way help the perpetrators of the embassy attack? Was our embassy genuinely an embassy, and like, that's what it purports to be? I think we, as citizens, need to know what's going on. Because... Holy cow, if one video that's clearly designed as a, as a military weapon, I mean, not a military weapon, but a weapon of incitement, if that's enough to stoke those fires, what if something bad, like physically bad, violent, you know, happened? Uh, how quickly is it? I mean, I was alive in Los Angeles during the riots, and it went from... This is awful that these abusive police officers were not going to be held accountable for for uh, excessively beating Rodney King to the city's on fire. And the National Guard is being deployed, and 72 hours after it starts, we're living in occupied L.A. And it was, if you go back to it, it was a flashpoint of the streets of Florence and Normandy where Reginald Denny, the uh, the white truck driver, was pulled out of his vehicle and beaten with an inch of his life, and the news cameras captured all of it, and they set that that liquor store on fire, and uh, in a bizarre thing, the smoke from the liquor store was going up past a movie poster of Encino Man that I was in. So I remember just watching in horror what was happening, and then seeing the Encino Man poster and thinking, what a strange and curious world this is. But anyway, live on television, the, televi- the, the, the viewing public could see that there were several police cars that raced right up to the scene, saw what was happening, realized that they were in grave physical danger and were probably outgunned and at least situationally disadvantaged, and they withdrew, either on their own or worse, from the after-action review, uh, ordered to pull back to essentially let that destruction play itself out in that that intersection. But as 
soon as the public saw that the cops weren't going in, well, that's when that's when the riots grew. That's when people felt emboldened. You know, and that's when you realize that the line between civilization and chaos and anarchy is a very thin line, a very fragile line. Uh, I was in New York during the uh, during one of the big blackouts, and it was amazing to see how people pulled together. Uh, you wondered if the blackout went for a few uh, more uh, nights, like and people's you know resources got depleted. What it, what would happen? But the point is that it was so fast in Los Angeles that it became a riot. It was summertime. It was hot. Uh, the the passions had been stoked for months and months by the televised trial. But if you look at that as a little example, and you see that whatever you think about the actual effect that that video had in the Muslim world, in Cairo and, and Libya and Yemen, whatever you think about how it was structured or how it was used as a as a tool or how those mobs really get spun up, it's it's pretty fast. And, you know, if the embassies, not just the United States, but of uh, Western countries or any other countries uh, in any region, but since we're talking about the Middle East, are, you know, a tiny little, a tiny little speck in a great, in a greater uh, environment, if they, if they all got assaulted at the same time, if they were all kind of uh, came under attack, all of a sudden the entire balance of the world has changed. I mean, we've moved a lot of troops out of uh, Korea. We've moved a lot of troops out of Germany. You know, our, our global military posture, our global military footprint is way different now in the last, through the Bush administration. Uh, and do we as citizens really know? Uh, 323-622-8623 is the number. Call in and disabuse me of some of my uh, notions here. I, I need someone to hold my feet to the fire. But if um, uh, if it can happen that fast, A, a firestorm of anti-American sentiment or anti-West sentiment. I mean, it's like a, uh, it's a, it's the international relations equivalent of a run on the banks where, you know, on Black Friday or Black Monday or whatever, whatever day it is, you know, in a, in a couple day period, some things can transpire that all of a sudden throw our entire economy into, into trouble. You know, the same thing can happen internationally. And so I think it's important for the citizens to really look critically at, at the stories that come out of these places. You know, we have, to, um, we have to do two things. One, we have to um, hold our representatives accountable. That's what Governor Romney was purporting to do when he came out and... and uh, Criticized Obama and his administration. It's what, it's what it's 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 not only a right for people to hold our elected officials uh, and representatives accountable for their actions. It's our duty to do so, even if, especially if, 
they uh, come from our own political parties. But we also must, must trust them, too. And those things would seemingly contradict one another, that you can trust someone and hold them accountable. But that's the way it has to be. If you hire people, which is what our elections are, we're hiring people to do a job, and it's a free and fair election, and a majority of the people install somebody like the president and then by extension the ambassadors and the, um, you know, State Department and so forth, you know, we've hired them to do a job. It's, it takes real sophistication to evaluate in real time if people are doing a good job uh, to allow for the stress that they're under, to accurately identify what their capacity is or what the challenges that they're up against. You know, in our country, we've got this, just, you know, habit, really, of attacking everyone. We just attack. And it just doesn't feel like advanced citizenship to me for all of us to just attack right away. It feels like when something like the embassy situation comes to pass. We've got, we got to push the pause button for a second and say, okay, this is our country. This is our embassy. This is what people are saying. This is, you know, and, and, and take stock, you know. How much, how much money do we give people again? What's, our, what's the recent past? What's our relationship with people in the recent past? Are there, are there any other outstanding circumstances? You know, like, really really evaluate it. I bet most people develop a judgment about these things within, you know, you know, they have an instinct about it within, you know, two or three news reports that they get of it, maybe five or six news reports. And then, you know, in the couple of days following that, people interpret new information in a way that confirms their instinct. That's the way they want to, they want to be right. I'm certainly guilty of that. But I'm sort of putting out there that maybe, you know, there's, there's two months left of the election when this thing happened. So we can well afford, citizens can well afford to sit back and evaluate it using our critical thinking skills and then have time to get back into the campaign. The fact that everybody is such a slave to the, uh, the almighty dollar driving advertising time, and that means... Uh, in order to get those commercials on the air, and you have to uh, you have to campaign. You in order to campaign, you got to do this, and then it's just it's sometimes there's a hysteria to it, uh, to the the uh, to the way the pace is driven by everybody, and you know maybe she should be a little more thoughtful. That's all I'm saying. Three two three six two two eight six two three. Let me go through here in the absence of calls from my loyals. Count on you, people. Uh, Romney press conference address to leak the video controversy. Um, let's see. Uh, what's your favorite type of pizza? Hmm. Answer that question. Um, not what those pictures depict. Oh, the French. The French magazine or newspaper that published the cartoons with additional, uh, you know, demeaning and insulting footage of the Prophet Muhammad. And the French government asked them not to do it, and they did it anyway. 
And you just got to ask yourself, what the heck is wrong with people? And is it just a profit motive? I mean, maybe do they feel like they're doing some public good, that they're giving people an outlet, you know, people who feel like it's not fair, that they, they have to be excessively uh, concerned for their safety and, and worried about what's going to happen if somebody in their community decides to cork off on something or make a political statement or social statement. Are they, do they feel like they're doing something good? God, I guess on some level, feel like it. I don't know anything about them, but, or are they just like, this is a, people's emotions are running high. We're going to put this in there. We're going to get all over the news and we're going to make a lot of money and we'll deal with the problems when they, when they happen. I mean, if that's the case, people die on the other end of it. How can people live with themselves? I honestly don't know. Now, in this country, you have a right to say, you have a right to say what you want. That doesn't mean you should say it. You know, discretion, the better part of valor. It's a phrase I always like. Uh, we're going to two minutes. We'll take a quick break. Johnny Hayes. Um, so, and then, but then you've got the fact that there, that the, there's a, uh, Lupe said there's a muted reaction around the world. You know, they, the uh, French beefed up the security around their embassies. The guys from the newspaper that represent those, um, that, that, that publish those images, they all have extra security protection. I mean, is this the new norm? Is this the new norm? The South Park guys are going to say some stuff and they're going to pick Mohammed, they're going to do whatever, but that's cool because they're going to have a Lincoln Navigator and a small, you know, uh, motorcade to, to get them to the airport so they can go do their... Um, go to New York or something or go to L.A. I, I, what, I mean, you know, you sort of say, well, we, we have the right to say what we want and we're going to take the necessary precautions to protect ourselves and then we're going to go ahead and do it. I mean, maybe that's the way forward. Maybe if people do that more and more and more, it'll, it'll push the uh, push everything to a head, you know, and maybe there will be reaction against the quote-unquote blasphemers and, and people will start lighting and depicting things that are more flattering or come out and Support of, uh, of their, their, their fellow countrymen and citizens and, you know, members of the global community. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I just really want to be one of the family members of somebody who's killed while that experiment is playing out. It just sucks. Um, I'm just going through here with the old, uh, let's see. Oh, okay. Well, I trust you fairly address the hypocrisy of religious and that film and president taking much money from Mars. Well, I don't think any laws uh, were broken, American laws. Um, certainly much offense was made, caused, and taken. Um, I saw Religious. I thought it was interesting. Um, it was an interesting movie. I thought, you know, I've said this before, I, I look forward to uh, Bill Maher inviting me on his show and uh, giving me eight seconds to state my opinion and telling me what I'm... Uh, an idiot I am, but I think he hits the uh, atheist thing so hard. There's that, and I've said this before, I'll just keep saying it until he has me on his show. Um, Thou doth protesteth too much. You know, you've got conscientious good people who are people of faith, and all you can do is attack them for believing in a talking snake. It's like, well, I don't know. Uh, I think Christians, um, there have been Christians who have reacted very badly, uh, both 
after having been provoked and just initiating their bad behavior on themselves. But I would also say that um, certainly in this modern time, contemporary context, uh, there's just uh, an understanding that people have the right to blaspheme all they want. You just don't got to agree with it and don't got to like it and don't got to listen to it. And you can speak out against it if you want to. And, uh, but, you know, in any regard, violence is not an option. That's the way to be, I think. But as for the president accepting money from them, well, I think that wherever the candidates get their money from, it's important for the public to have access to that information and to know where the candidates are getting their money from. But I think it would be much more troubling to people that Obama gets money from the big bank uh, folks that he uh, has spoken so harshly about and wanting to regulate and everything uh, and uh, draw, you know, a fair conclusion to draw that might not be as strict against new friends as he would against uh, people he's got objective distance with, but maybe not. Maybe there's a point to say, you know, I think you guys need to be better regulated. You're not evil people. Um, contribute to my campaign. Thanks very much for getting me in. Now we've got an open discussion. Let's work together. Maybe the bank people feel like they can protect their downside a little bit. Maybe Obama feels like he made better inroads. Uh, or maybe he just wants to take their money and give what they want or take their money and not give them what they want. I don't know. What I do know is that it's fair for people to know and be allowed to draw their own conclusions. Um, as for taking money from Bill Maher, who is a uh, atheistic uh, or an atheist, um, I don't know. People are free to judge for themselves. It doesn't bother me, but uh, I think Bill Maher is very smart. I find him very, I get very frustrated watching him sometimes. Um, and I certainly like the form that he's created for himself, and I don't miss an episode. Hey, Sean. Um, yo. We got a call coming in. Hey. 701, I'm going to add. Great. Uh, do you want to take our break first or go? No, we're going. 701, okay, you're on. Hey. Hi. Who's this? This is Heidi from North Dakota. Say your name one time a little bit louder because I'm all the way over here in New York. Heidi. Oh, Heidi. It's good to hear from you again. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Well, I just did, I just did an hour of an inner monologue <laughs> all by myself, so I'm, I'm very grateful to have uh, another person to, to, to riff with. Um, were you able to listen to some of that stuff for the last hour? I did, and I enjoyed it very much, Sean. I really did. But you are kind of breaking up on the phone here, so if I ask you to repeat, that's why. Oh, okay. Wait, okay, so so what, tell me what you're thinking about. So, is there anything in particular that I talked about that you want to focus on, or is there some other topic? It's, uh, it's, it's you and me. No one's listening. It's just the two of us. Okay. There's no one listening, you promise? <laughs> okay, I guess I, my... I promise. I give you the politician's promise. <laughs> okay, I can take that one to the bank. I guess my concern is is with everything that's going on overseas as far as the attack on the embassies and all that that whole area, um, I understand the concerns. I, I am just as appalled, upset, and everything as, other, as everybody. But my main focus is because I work with persons with disabilities, because I work with people who are in Romney's 47%. That's where my focus has now switched. 
you had asked once quite a while ago if we were one-issue voters, and I have been now become a one-issue voter because of my concerns of what would happen to the people that I serve under Romney. Yeah, I, I, um, did you, when you heard that, you know, answer that he gave at the $50,000 plate fundraiser, did it just confirm for you everything that you knew and thought and felt, or were you shocked? I was appalled. I was shocked and appalled. I, I really was, because I just could not believe that something that antiquated came out of the man's mouth, that that thinking I was hoping was over and done with in, in today's society, that, that as a society we were more progressed, that we were more, you know, concerned and more and more and more supportive and more caring of the people that we, you know, of people that absolutely do not have a choice. I work with persons who, are dis- who have disabilities. I work with people who would love to be able to go out and, 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 and have a full-time job without support, but these are people who cannot, that, that, are, that are needing the, the supports that, as a society, I think we are, we are in, that we are in, we need to be able to provide, and I agree with you about the housing and the health care and all that kind of thing, the basics that we need to be able to provide to people, because I, it just, I, as, as a person of conscience, cannot sit here and know that there are people who are literally living on the streets, especially coming from North Dakota. It gets rather cold. Um, the, the people living on the streets simply because they are incapable of working. I mean, and these are people who, who, who would if they could. And it just, like I said, it was just so upsetting to me to hear that type of dismissal coming from his mouth. And I just worry about what will happen to the programs that are already in place and the future programs that we're hoping to we were hoping would expand and include more people because I still know people who don't have insurance. I still know people who are literally dying because they cannot get to, the, the, the doctors are turning them down for treatment. They cannot get medication. They can't get these services. And that's what I do is I try to help these people find these resources. And it's a struggle. Every single day, it's a struggle. What do you think he would have them do if, as a function of cutting spending, they couldn't be accommodated for. What, what do you think in his mind, I mean, is he Pottersville from, from It's a Wonderful Life? He just have, you know, squalor and people in abject misery. And, I mean, what, what do, you, do you think there's anything? He doesn't seem like a cruel guy. He's, I take him at his word about some of his the missionary work that he did and in his Mormon faith and caring about poor people. I mean, do you think he just senses, like with the Bush administration, after working for Bush, volunteering for Bush on his council, I developed the opinion that he was not callous, and it wasn't that he didn't care about people. He just believed that uh, uh, people doing, you know, essentially Christian charity would pick up the slack. Do you think that's what he's hoping for, or do you think he just doesn't know? Or I mean, what do you think? I, I wish I did know. I wish I understood his line of reasoning, and I wish I understood where he was coming from. Um, what his plans are, what 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 he proposes for this group, I haven't been able to determine yet. Uh, every everything is is concentrated so much on what the on what the commercial boards are saying is when you go out to do the you know to go to do the searches and things. There's so much concentrated on on the the overseas and on the Muslim and on the tapes and. And in things and defending, you know, this 47% tape. I mean, 
that to find out actually what he does propose is is beyond me. And so there's so many things that are currently happening on the Hill that are not being addressed either. It's like, for example, the farm bill hasn't been signed. Um, they're hoping to, if, if the Congress is going to close out, they're hoping in a lame duck session to maybe sign an extension for a year or maybe to make some changes or, or whatever, but the, but the farm bill hasn't been signed. And what people need to realize is that includes food stamps. So, I mean, there is a possibility that the food stamp program could be severely affected just because of the fact that the, that the House could not get its act together and pass a bill. I've heard him say on several occasions that um, there's a certain level of destitution or desperation or uh, incapacity that exists in the country that just simply has to be paid for because we're not a, a barbaric uh, civilization over here, but that it's another group, another like tier above that of people who are, who maybe have the capacity to do fine with a little bit less or who could do, uh, fine with nothing. If, you know, I mean, uh, so he doesn't seem to be just totally, uh, dismissing people. Let me, I'm going to play it. I actually have it up here. I don't know if it's going to work with my microphone on the phone here, but I'll play it and we'll talk about it because I, I agree with you. I, I tweeted that I thought he's the worst part of the whole thing was he set back the conversation, you know, 35 years or whatever it is to, to the, you know, the Carter Reagan debates and then the, the whole Reagan era where it was like, you know, it, it just, people were just treated like chattel. And then finally Clinton comes in with this new political slogan of welfare to work, and then you have a, 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 a policy that everybody, I don't know, from my vantage point, kind of seem to agree with, that, that if people have a work requirement in order to get certain things, if they, unless they satisfy the criteria, and, and that was it. We weren't a part of a downwardly spiraling, you know, uh, cycle of, of just pouring money down a hole. You were, you were actually helping society kind of, certain elements put itself back on the street. But let, so, so, and, but, but here's the thing. If we do, you know, we, the debt, the military, and entitlement programs are the biggest, are the, are the trifecta of things that are, are creating the crushing debt. And, uh, uh, right? I mean, that's, I think that's right. So, so if, as the piece of the pie, the Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid uh, have to be addressed, and that's a euphemism for fixed, which is a euphemism for maybe people's benefits get cut, maybe they don't, I don't know. If there's, you know, what I kept wondering, what would Mitt Romney say to, you know, 500 people who fit into that category that needed to have their wings clicked, you know, have the, have the federal government pull back? And I'm not talking about, you know, soldiers or their families. I'm talking about, you know, the people he has in mind. You know, what would he say to them? Would he just say, like, listen, your government needs you? Now's the time for all good, you know, semi-dependent people to come to the aid of their country. You ha we need you to, to dig down deep and, and, and just, you know, we can't afford to help you like this. We wish we could, but we can't. So get off your feet and we'll, and we'll do everything we can and your neighbors will help you. And, you know, and, and I mean, if you listen, I'm going to play it. The, the, uh, I'm going to play this thing real quick. I hope he has a question included on this clip. Um, Johnny, I just let me know if we can't hear it, okay? Can you take okay. a listen? I guess he brought it out into the open, but I don't think so at all. Oh, wait. Ah, uh, it's Trump. Sorry, that was Trump talking about uh, talking about it on uh, on Pierce Morgan. Let me see if I can if I can full Mindra. Okay, that's thirty six minutes. We don't want that leaked. Okay, here we go. Let's see. If I can. 
how it's going to play in the atmosphere. So, um, uh, it, it, so what, what I'm getting at, what I'm saying, there's a certain cheerleading necessity that's going to have to happen, or you're just going to get a constant combative relationship with people. And uh, I, I just Sean, I'm, I'm sorry. Away. You're breaking up. Could you repeat that, please? Yeah, I was just saying that there's a certain cheerleading quality. Sean, you there? Nope. Hello? Hey, Heidi. Hi. Hey, hey, looks like we lost him. We're going to take a quick break while we get him back, and uh, if you just want to hold tight, we'll get him on. Okay, great. Thank you. Radio worth watching. Every three minutes, another person falls further into credit card debt. Many credit card companies have nearly doubled their minimum monthly payment. People can barely afford to keep up. Here's the great news. With our powerful program, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. We are a nationwide nonprofit and have helped over 600,000 people with their credit cards. Get free of credit card debt today. Call 800-495-1307. That's 800-495-1307. Are you an inventor? Or do you know an inventor who would like to attempt to have an idea or invention patented and submit it to industry? For free information on how to get started, call InventHelp toll-free at 1-800-762-7000. InventHelp is America's largest invention company. Their referrals have helped inventors secure more than 7,000 patents, and they can provide free inventors information for you. Find out how to record your invention's date of origination and get an informative brochure and other material of interest to new inventors. Get started by calling 1-800-762-7000. Even if you have an idea for improving an existing product, you'll want to get this free inventor's information from InventHelp. Find out how to try to patent your invention and submit it to industry. Call now to get your free inventor's information. Call 1-800-762-7000. That's 1-800-762-7000. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Hello, hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi, can you hear me? Barely. Okay, hold on one second. We're call- I'm calling through on the other line. We're doing our remote. It's like I'm calling from the field. Johnny, I'm... You there? Yeah, are we on the air? Yep. All right. Sorry about that, Heidi. We're uh, experiencing technical difficulty. No worries. Sean, I totally understand technical difficulties. <laughs> I was saying that the... the um, Hey, Johnny, can you pull up this 47% quote on your computer and play the sound of it? Because I, I, I'm struggling to find it. You know what I'm talking about? The, the Mitt Romney 47% remarks thing? I'll, I'll search for it right now. Right. And just, I really want to hear the guy's question beforehand. A lot of these things just start with the 47% of our thing with him talking. But I really want to hear the guy's question beforehand. But anyhow, what I was saying, Heidi, was that there's a cheerleading component. That you can't just have a, that if we're going to make, need to make changes, if the system is going to require trimming or adjustment, which I frankly think everybody believes is happening, even though it's political 
suicide to say it because, you know, if you've got somebody living paycheck to paycheck or, or assistance check to assistance check, the idea... Oh. Or, you know, whatever it is. But if there has to be some changes to it, isn't it, isn't there a, a, a kind of, we, we need to, now's the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country, you know, Kennedy asked not what you can do for, you know what I mean? Isn't there some of that kind of, that needs to be invoked? This whole idea of pitting people against each other and saying, they're going to take from you to give to them. And, and it's just, it's just a mean spirited, vicious thing that isn't, isn't going to work. What, what, what do you, what do you, how does, how does it, what's the way forward? That I can understand on, on one level. I can understand that we all need to tighten our belts or whatever. But we're talking people who are barely who are barely making it day to day. We're talking about children who go to bed routinely hungry. We're talking about people who who are visiting food pantries every single day. We have we're ta- we're talking about people who just have no health insurance. They have no health care. And we were talking about people who don't have anything. So to ask them to give up what little tiny bit they do have is almost an insult. Especially when this person is asking them, can but afford... Is he really talking about them? I'm sorry, what? Is that who he's talking about? Is he talking about people who are in that desperate straits? Or is he talking about people who are a little bit... that, that are have it, you know... I don't want to say better off, but I mean that people are in a slightly uh, better vantage point. I mean, I, it sounds so mean. I'm trying desperately to pull it up here, and it's just not working. But um, it, it's he just sounds so mean when he says it. Like you know, these people are, you know, like the only way to deal with them is for you to vote me in, and I'll take care of them. You know, they're they're not going to be nobody else is going to take care of them. I'll take care of them. You know, like the the tough love. You get the sense that what he's talking about is just tough love. Uh, is the best I can, the best I can do on it. But um, all right. So you, so you, his comment was so upsetting to you that you went from a kind of uh, a multi-dimensional approach to thinking about who you're going to. You you were already decided beforehand, right? I mean, you knew you knew basically which way you were going. Um, basically, yes. I had I already was leaning towards Obama, but I am notorious for last-minute mind changes once I hit the voting booth. <laughs> so was are I mean, you I have, do, are you honest with people? I mean, do you tell them who you voted for? Or do you say it's my business? Because you know what usually happens is usually by the time the election rolls around, I usually end up voting for one of the independents. I usually don't end up voting for either Democratic or Republican. Um, I usually end up voting for one of the independents, just because by the time you feel the like vote, your vote is wasted. I think, no, I don't, I don't think it's wasted because North Dakota only has three electoral votes, and to be honest with you, the nation rightly doesn't care what we think. But I think what we can do then is I'm using my vote then to place my displeasure in the two-party system because I think just having the two parties is, is a total detriment. And, you know, that's how I view it. I don't view voting as for one of the independents as a waste of my vote. I view it as I'm making my statement, and that's my right. <laughs> to do it as, you know, as a voter. Interesting. You know, I'm thinking about the Admiral Foyle interview that I did where he talked about being in, um, what was the name of his country? It wasn't St. Lucia, but, um, but yeah, he, he, 
it, it just was amazing. He's like, I can swing it one way or another. So, you know, in North Dakota, maybe you, maybe you enjoy that sense of, um, intimacy with the, with the system. And, you know, I'm, I'm in LA where, you know, there's, I don't know how many people, 11 million, 20 million. I don't, I don't know how many people are in LA, but it's a lot. And you get a sense of your vote. I vote at, like as a ceremonial contribution, you know, I, I'm happy to put on my, I vote sticker and, you know, we try our best in those, you know, hours before we vote, my wife and I to, to get our heads around whatever the, the, uh, you know, different referendums are company. You never know. You know, we, we basically most of the time go down the party line because, uh, you know, you you look at other politicians who you think you have respect for to try and guide you because the stuff is always written in triple speak, and you you know you you have no idea. What's, you know, of course you have to vote for for more money for the prisons. Okay, what are you going to not have effective prisons? They're like, well, of course you're going to vote for more funding for schools. How do you teachers need to have their money? So okay, does so that make me just a tax and spend liberal because I, I've never seen something that's important for us to spend our money on that I don't like. <laughs> um, but it must be it must be interesting to to have that kind of. How many electoral votes do you have in North Dakota? Do you know? It's got to be like three or something. Three. Is it three? Yeah, three. Yep. Wow. Who's uh, who's trending? Another thing I wanted to talk about this. Uh, this show, which I, I don't, I just didn't, wasn't able to pull together, um, is the polling. I mean, is there, are you guys watching polling in your uh, state? I mean, you know, are they even coming there? Is anybody going to even visit you? You know what? Let me just tell you a little bit about North Dakota. Um, we have a history of, of, of Republican, and basically the Democrats have given us up. And I just did a, a little struggle because our governor is up for re-election. And so I just did a little struggle, and I said, okay, just asking people I work with, um, you know, consumers that I serve, you know, people I'm having lunch with, I said, who's running for governor? And they would say, Dally Ripple. I said, okay, yeah, Governor Dal Ripple is running for re-election. Um, is he a Democrat or is he a Republican? Well, he's a Democrat. I'm like, no, he's Republican. I said, who's a Democratic candidate? Nobody knew. Huh. I'm, I'm not kidding. Out of the 15 to 20 people I talked to, nobody knew who the Democratic contender for the governorship for North Dakota was. It's like we've been, it's like everyone watching. Are there any North Native Dakota. Americans? Are there any prominent Native Americans in this cycle? There, we have several reservations on the state, yes. Um, and they, but to be honest with you, the reservations on that, that Devil's Lake is actually on the border of one of the reservations, and I serve quite a few people who, who are on the reservation, they are more concerned with their tribal elections than they ever are for national. Yeah. I bet, I don't know. When I was, um, when I was appointed by Bush into his uh, President's Council on Service and Civic Participation, we went and were given some instructions, and then we were, uh, Andy Card, his White House Chief of Staff, administered in the Roosevelt Room the the oath of office where we swore an oath to the Constitution, and then we went into the Oval Office where we were greeted by the President and took a picture, each of us individually, and then a group picture. Then we all, and he gave a speech, and then we all went and got in the tr- in the motorcade, and we went to a Boys and Girls Club where he gave a speech, and then we came back and we were ushered to the uh, old Executive Office Building, OEOB, and uh, it's it's that kind of brownie looking building next to uh, next to the White House. And uh, we go in there, and then we walk into a room with, I 
think it was like tile, this beautiful tile, um, a mural. There might have been a mural or some paintings. It was a very beautiful looking room. And they called it the Indian Treaty Room. And I just remember thinking that, you know, Democrats have very hard, uh, I as a Democrat held some very hard opinions about President Bush and the Bush administration and a lot of things. And, and you know, I try not to use the word liar or whatever, but, but I, I had some pretty harsh feelings. And uh, and I just remember thinking it was so ironic that, that that group of people who I held those feelings about was administering this oath to the Constitution and the Indian Treaty Room where we've, like, broken all these treaties over the years. And, and, uh, and I remember thinking, I wonder what it'll be like for a Native American president in, uh, to, to come into this room to address people for some reason, for some banquet or something like that, or, you know, for some conference or something like that, you know, with, with the history of our country. So I, I just, and, I, and likely that person's going to come out of North Dakota, I reckon. Well, the upper tier states, anyway. But the the Native Americans have a culture that just is so completely different than what our traditional white culture is, is that it's it's very difficult for for the political ideas to go back and forth because they simply couldn't. I mean, if they had heard something about Romney's forty seven percent tape, they just that would have been beyond the comprehension. They just that's not their culture. Their culture is to share what you have. And so the the fact that somebody who has so they're co- they're communists they're socialists. You know, North Dakota has a has a history of, of socialism. Absolutely, we have a state owned mill and elevator. We have a state owned bank. We have a, a strong history of socialism in North Dakota, and that goes back to the tribes also. But that's their culture more so than a political um, system. That's their culture. Well, I I remember um, studying a little bit about the the. Um, What's it called? The summit of all the tribes, like the five big tribes, came together and essentially put together a document that a lot of which is was borrowed from by the founding fathers as as they were building the constitution. Does that that sound right? I don't remember what it's called. Oh. Anyway, there's there's a lot for us to learn from our uh, our, our Native American uh, brothers, and and um, I remember uh, when I was stumping for Hillary Clinton, um, when it was just you know you know, inch by inch, and it was it was Obama and Clinton neck and neck, and uh, she really, it was after she'd essentially lost it, I think she couldn't get it with the numbers anymore unless she contested one of the states or something, but I remember being on a on a um, radio show in, in North Dakota and talking for like two and a half hours, you know, even longer than my long-winded radio show program, and uh, and just going on and on, and then a month later when I went to D.C. to, to sort of be there to bear witness to her um, concession speech. Afterwards, I talked to President Clinton for a minute, and he was like, "Hey, Sean, I got to tell you something. I was I was in North Dakota, and I talked to these guys, and they said that they were supporting Hillary, and the only reason was because you spent two hours at the phone, and I think it's great." <laughs> he, I met him a bunch of times, and he was the most kind of focused on me and interested in me when what we had in common was that even though it didn't technically matter, we both were in North Dakota where there's not that many people and not that much, you know, uh, you know, political reward, but 
that made it all the more meaningful that that you're there. Was 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 talking to people because they're there to be talked to, you know, or talked with. So I don't know. Uh, hey, uh, um, uh, Johnny Ice, I know that uh, Jason Swank is trying to call through, so just keep your eyes open on the uh, on the line for that. Um, I really am mad at myself because I've been sitting here this whole time going through my little t- Twitter scroll where people were kind enough to um, cut and paste um, audio clips or YouTube clips for me, and um, and I just cannot find this gosh darn Romney tape. Um, let me see here. Uh, is Jason 330? He's calling if he's... Yeah, yeah, put him on. Did you have, can you keep Heidi on with us, or you, we got to let Heidi go? I think you got them all on. Oh, okay. Uh, Jason, you got me and Heidi. Hey, Sean, how are we? We're doing great at this uh, remote, technically challenged uh, broadcast here, but have you been listening in, I guess? Oh, so I have been. Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on leave this week, so I would take the opportunity. Sweet. So what are you thinking about? Well, you know, it's interesting. I thought that last caller, uh, I, I was shocked when she said that she was uh, considering Romney or that she hadn't completely made up her mind. I mean, it was very obvious to me. She sounded like a very informed person. But this was, this was part of what Romney was talking about, that there are certain folks out there that no matter what he does, they're not going to vote for him. And I, I appreciate her uh, you know, saying that she was open to other things, but you could just tell from her worldview that this is not someone who would ever consider voting for Romney. And so I think that I a lot know, of times... You, know, you had Reagan Democrats, you know, back then, and, and I, can, I, I used to want with us, but, so, so she can she'll speak to it in a second, but I, I take her her word that as a point of personal pride, she's, you know, her vote isn't, hasn't been given away to anybody, and, and you know, I... I, I'm John, no, come, in, come on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you, I mean, you heard her talk. I mean, again, very informed, probably a very sweet, wonderful person, but obviously somebody who um, who believes in the big bad boogeyman Republican that's going to take benefits away from those who are less fortunate, et cetera, et cetera. This straw man that uh, that the, that Obama and the rest of the uh, of his campaign create to uh, you know to frighten people away, you know. And in a way, it's frustrating for me. And Mitt Romney, I'll say, was not my candidate in the, in the primary. Uh, but, you know, the intelligentsia, all of the pundits said, well, this is the only guy that can win. This is the only guy that can win. The ironic thing is now a lot of them are, are, are the first to, to throw sand in it. Kick sand in his face, Bill Crystal and some of these others. Um, so it's a little frustrating for me. However, despite the fact that he does kind of play into that stereotypical image, and I, I will grant you that. Um, I think if you look at the different quotes, um, particularly the one I, I, I heard you earlier referencing, take advantage of the situation. Um, and I, that really bothered me when I heard it. Like, I didn't look this up. So I looked it up and I saw a little bit more of the context. And if you read the whole transcript, you know, these private fundraiser uh, dinners, you get all types. You know, you get all types, and these are wealthy people. They're kicking a lot of money to campaign. They all think that they have the best idea. So a guy gets up and he's like, hey, you know, Reagan in 1979, how would you ever do that? Well, Romney's not going to say, come on, man, you're, you're, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to uh, uh, hope for some sort of tragedy. But he did say, look, if something came up, we would certainly, uh, you know, bad choice of words, but 
uh, take advantage of it. And I can point out, too, the fact that Rahm Emanuel said when the uh, economic collapse hit that you never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, yeah, so I think not, it's a very similar... I think it's a very yeah. similar thing that, as that quote, but what I what I I think is, um, you know, there's there's there, he's just so impolitic the way he talks. Like what he's saying, you could, could you can kind of understand might make sense, but like why would he phrase it the way he does? It's just like a bad politician. He, he when he said that, <laughs> what I got out of it was he wanted that donor to know that if he that he had the kill instinct. That he's not going to be somebody who, if there's a moment to strike, he's going to hesitate to strike out of squeamishness. That's what that's what you he's know, trying to You say. know, Sean, and, and maybe, and maybe I, I'll tell you from my perspective. I've sat in board meetings. I, I work, I've exclusively worked for nonprofits for a while, and so I sit in rooms with um, wealthy donors who give to the organization. And they'll oftentimes they'll stand up and they'll think they have the greatest idea since you know the pocket. And you kind of have to sit there and sort of humor them. So when I read it, I sort of took it like he was kind of, you know, he didn't want to shut the guy down. And um, if you, again, I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, myself. It's bad. No, I watched it very my closely. Computer, he but... went back for it. He went back for it. He gave his answer, and then there was a pause, and then he doubled. He went back, and he, he realized that he hadn't given a forceful enough thing, and he knows that, that when people walk out of that room, they're going to think, well, you know what? He's, he's got the fire in his belly. He, well, he wants it bad enough that he's not going to get pushed. But you know what? But, but, okay, I, I give it to you, and I will tell you this. I will concede that it is frustrating. You know, you're a Democrat. You know, with Joe Biden being on your team, it's frustrating when you've got a guy that, that, is, that tends to say things in, in an incorrect or improper way. I think that Romney is showing the fact that he is a little green when it comes to being on the, on the national stage. Um, so, yeah, I, probably a bad choice of words, but I think what he was trying to tell the donor is, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let, um, you know, this or that get in the way of me pointing out when I think the administration is on a bad course. I apologize for the extra noise here. I'm home. But um, so when, the, when they're on a bad course, I'm going to point it out. And um, so I think if you compare his comments to the fact, you know, when you go to the, the tape with Obama, the reason that we're jumping up and down as conservatives is because we have been saying time and time again that this guy is a big government liberal. He's probably the most far left that we've ever had uh, hold that office. Um, he makes Clinton look conservative by contrast. But here we've got him in 2000, uh, or 1998, admitting it, saying it. That we're, you know, I respect Al Sharpton a lot because Al Sharpton says, of course he's a socialist. It makes, it, it, it makes absolutely um, sense to me that America would have gone socialist when they did in 2008. At least Reverend Al admits it. This guy um, is a full die-in-the-woods, um, very, very left, if not socialist, certainly a big government redistribu uh, redistributionist. And he's admitting it. And we're jumping up and down because finally... We've, you know, what we've been saying, we're not a bunch of kooks. So well, it feels kind of good. You know, I would, I would say that he, that, that he did say to a certain extent, and I think the, the argument needs to be over, like what that extent is. I don't think he's saying totally, that, totally, that and and, and income. 
he actually reminded me of what I heard you say when you talked about the, uh, you know, the, 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 I think you said the five things that you believe that the government should provide or what people are entitled to. Because he was talking about the fair shot. You've talked about food or, you know, uh, food, education, uh, shelter, and, and you had a, a clothing and a couple other other things. But I he, 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 he clearly education and health care. He clearly meant education and health care. Those are the two big whoppers. Okay. I think you're okay. But what do you say about um, when he talks about a fair shot? What do you think he means by a fair shot, and how far do you take it? I, and I'm being very sincere. I'm just kind of curious what you no, folks he, he when you talk about that mean by that. He asked that question. Before we, I, I want to go into that, but before we do, I want to go back and, 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 uh, and defend Heidi a little bit and give her a chance to jump in here. One is, okay. when I asked her if she, uh, I said, you know, you pretty much made up your mind, right? And she said basically yes, but she, you know, if she does leave a window open, she said she did, I take her at her word that if somebody, you know, could be persuasive. It's clearly not Romney, but if somebody could, I think maybe she could be gotten to. Uh, sorry to talk about you in the third person, right? But the other thing was Heidi spends her time, she said over and over again, uh, working with people who are in these really tough situations. And then we will talk back and forth about whether or not, uh, you know, Romney actually had those people in mind or not, or not people who are slightly better off. So, you know, I, I don't want to impugn her. I don't want to let you impugn her character. I think it's oh, I wasn't, uh, Sean, please, I was, not, I was not trying to imply that she was not being honest. And uh, what I was trying to say was, um, what she, the, what, the way I interpreted it was she was still at a point deciding between Obama and, and Romney, uh, but these latest comments by well, Romney about the 47% is what right? tipped her over the edge. Heidi, you pretty much decided now, right? I'm sorry, pardon? You're pretty much decided at this point, right? I pretty much decided at this point, yes. But I need to go back, and Jason, you do need to understand that I was leaning towards Obama prior to this, but what you need to understand is that in what I told Sean earlier was when I hit the voting booth, a lot of times I do end up voting for independents, for people who are running. So I don't vote Democratic or Republican. I vote for independents. In North Dakota, we do not need to pre-register to vote. We show up with proof of residency and we vote. We do not need to register a party. I am a true independent. Last election, I had signs lined up across my yard of both Democratic, Republican, and independent candidates for different for different offices. So I guess I need you need to understand that your interpretation, my worldview, is a, is a, um, based on a few minutes of being on the radio is not quite accurate. I think uh, well, I would say that we that, that Jason would agree we need more Americans like you, Heidi. Oh, absolutely! Uh, oh my gosh, absolutely! No, I I was no. Please don't think I'm trying to impugn anyone's character. I was just making the point that I find that a lot of times, and I see this particularly more on the left than I do the right, where they'll say, well, you know, I'm really open-minded, and I'm, I might vote, to, you know, for this guy or that guy or whatever. Then you hear their ideology, and it ends up being 
um, you know, completely, um, you know, maps to one particular candidate very strongly. And, and from what I could hear, Heidi, and that's what we're doing, we're talking and, and all we know about each other is what we can hear. And from what I could hear, uh, there probably wasn't a way to save you in terms of uh, your vote for Mitt Romney. I think it just spoke well of what he was talking about, is that there's going to be folks out there that aren't interested in the tax code, they're not interested in uh, in lower taxes, because they don't pay any taxes. And um, so they're, they're, as me, far as he was concerned... I want to ask you a question then. Actually, I think I have it here. I'm going to play this... Um, and then if you can't read, I'm, this is, and then I want to hear, Jason, what you think of it. This is the question to Romney and then his answer. loud enough to be able to hear. Hold on, here we go. It's coming just now. All right, he's saying, he said you can't hear it. He's saying for the past uh, three years, um, well, let me get back to it a little bit. Uh, for the past three years, wow, this is crazy. For the past three years, all everybody's been told is, "Don't worry, we'll take care of you." Um, how? Oh man, why is this not going? Um, how are you going? I'm not. You should see. I'm scrolling through this. Ah, there we go. Okay. Uh, he writes, "For the past three years." All everybody's been told is, don't worry, we'll take care of you. How are you going to do it in two months before the elections to convince everybody you've got to take care of yourself? So he's basically saying, uh, you know, the 47% has become a like, buzz phrase now, but he's basically saying, how are you going to convince in two months people who've been living on the dole that they need to, they need to take care of themselves? That's the question. Right, and then the answer. And I think we can hear the answer a little bit because he's on mic. Uh, let's try to hear it. Right, here we go. Right, he says forty-seven percent of the people will vote for the president no matter what, which is a political analysis. All right, there are forty percent who are with him who are dependent upon government. I mean. That was bad. Uh, who believe that they are victims. That's probably the most damning thing at the moment. Uh, who believe the government... Uh, hold on, i got to wait for it to skip forward here. Hold on. Who believe the government has a responsibility to care for them. Who believe that they're entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. That's an entitlement. That that's an entitlement. And the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. It's just gnarly, man. It's gnarly. Um, so yeah, see, it's actually refreshing to me to hear somebody say it. And this is what's frustrating to me as a conservative about the liberal ideology is I find that the only way that they get elected is by campaigning and masquerading as moderates. I think that if, um, if Obama uh, would have been, uh, if the, I should say if the media would have been a little bit less protective um, Obama and his uh, past and his history, that we've probably gotten a much a much different result. Um, but at least I got to give it to Romney. For a lot of conservatives, it feels great to finally hear somebody say it instead of just talk show hosts. President Company, well, listen, I, I, I've heard I heard a lot of people, uh, Donald Trump and Dennis Miller and and uh, Sean Hannity and uh, Karl Rove and a bunch of others say. Uh, he he should he shouldn't apologize for anything. He should he should 
quadruple down on it, basically. But but when you say when you it, it doesn't it compromise. It, he hurts his own case, even if it's not with a hidden camera that people are going to make political hay out of later. Even if it's just with the people that he seems to not have that much respect to the people in the room when he says that they all think they're victims. Doesn't that one sentence like Sean? Wasn't the, the whole ninety nine? But wasn't the whole 99 percenters, uh, wasn't it all about being victims? They don't have because the 1% does. You know, my, I'm only getting this part of the pie because they've got a bigger piece. Um, that, that victim modality is very real. Now, whether it's 47% or whatever it is, I think um, he's got some facts mixed up because I think he was talking about people that pay income tax. And to me, that's not a real indicator. What The scary one for me is the number, the percentage of households in, a, in the country, which is very close to 50% now, that receive some kind of direct aid, whether it be food stamps, some sort of government program. I think that would have been a little bit better if he would have maybe made that distinction. Um, senior citizens, uh, veterans, et cetera, that don't pay federal income tax, it's a different story. But his, idea, his, his main point about there being um, this uh, us versus them, um, we don't have, we're victims because the rich guy has, has taken from us, um, it's very real, it's out there, and I think that it's, it's very, very dangerous and destructive to try to exploit that. And and, and uh, have that sort uh, of uh, in that class worker. Heidi, do you uh, do you have an opinion on the ninety nine percent issue? Of course. <laughs> um, I I personally don't have anything against people with money. I really don't. But it's hurtful and hateful for me when people who do have more money are not willing to pay the taxes. Trust me, the IRS gets a good chunk of my money every single year, and what you. And what people don't often realize is that I am dependent on the government for my income. I absolutely am. I work very hard for it, but, you know, basically a lot of the funding comes through government. Um, I work for a grant-based nonprofit agency, Sean, and I have not had a single raise since I started three years ago. Not a cost of living a raise or, or, or anything. None of us in my agency have received a raise in over three years. We are now taking, I'm taking home that's money now each each paycheck because the cost of my insurance has gone up. So after working for an agency for three years, I am actually bringing home much less money every single month. And I actually work two full-time jobs in order to support myself and my household. So when I'm working that hard and then I hear about people who have money who don't have to work as hard as I do, who don't have to put in the hours at two different positions that I do, and that they're not willing to pay their fair share of taxes, that's, that's, it's just hurtful and it's hateful. Now, disregarding... Well, I don't know if they're going to do... I don't know if... Money. Go ahead, finish I'm sorry? Go ahead and finish but, your thought. Know, I a lot of the people that I serve don't pay taxes, income taxes. But, again, they would if they could. I work with persons who, who have disabilities, and, and the, a lot of people would love... They would love to be able to physically go out and be able to work an eight-hour shift at McDonald's. They would love to get a job at a school and push broom for, you know, for, you know, six hours a day. But they physically cannot do it. So when you combine people like, like myself who work hard for a living and we think it's hateful to people with, who aren't willing to pay their fair share, but we're expected to, because I think they don't have the, the, uh, the tax lawyers that are willing to find all the loopholes for myself and the people that I serve that cannot pay taxes, that do not pay taxes. I don't think your income. 
I don't think at your income level the tax loopholes are there. <laughs> I mean, you got to make a lot more but, money in order to. Could I, exactly. Can I, could I just know, make a point? Yeah, I just want to say, Heidi, uh, you know, uh, and uh, give me some, uh, some, a little bit of leeway on these stats, but it's something like 70% of all taxes are paid by the top 2% of income earners, of uh, 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 wage earners. So I, uh, where is the fairness in that? You talk about fairness and paying their fair share. I think the very rich are paying remember, more than their friend, fair share. Jason, I have a friend who was a brilliant student and, uh, and wanted to become a doctor. And so he applied to 17 schools, and he got into 16 of them. But he's really pissed that he didn't get into that other one. So he goes to their administration department, and he says, why, why I, am, I have the most competitive thing. I got into every other school. Why didn't I get into this one? And his, he's in an affirmative action argument, which is the person said, well, I agree with you, but I have a stack of people that I have to pull from uh, for any one of a number of reasons, uh, socioeconomic, racial, whatever uh, whatever it is, and then I have a stack huh? of people who, hello, can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. So he, so he, he says, but I shouldn't have to be penalized because of all these other people who are not as competitive and, and because of some rules. And so he ends up fighting it, taking it all the way to the, uh, whatever the university version of a Supreme Court is, and he gets in and that's the school he goes to, just as an F you to, to the system that was trying to keep him down. And I'm like, dude, you got into 16 other schools. So when you say is it fair for the top earners to pay most of the taxes, like, yeah, you got all the money. And you know what? I think the Obama... The, the way that Obama tripped on himself when he said, you didn't build it, so unfortunate. But, and, and, and it just burns me so bad when I hear Hannity use it the way he does, because what he clearly meant was, you didn't build it alone. There's infrastructure. There's, you know, if you have to go to the hospital. Yeah, but, where, but, Sean, but Sean, where'd the money, but where'd the money for, the, for the infrastructure come from? From taxpayers, not the government. Yeah, the point Obama was trying to make is that we should all... Money. What is money? It, it was units of value used to pay people for their labor. And that labor not from the government, though. But it's not from the government. The, the money does not, is not, does not emanate from the government. Wealth and, and uh, does not, is not, the government is not the, uh, the epicenter of, of wealth and productivity. It's, it's not. Well, the government is... They, they, they regulate it. I mean, it seems to me like, you know... There are, when you look at these macro, macro problems, somebody has to figure out how to stop the debt crisis. Somebody has to figure out where cutting needs to happen. Somebody needs to figure out where raising revenue needs to happen. Somebody needs to do that. And, you know, so the, the big thinking, the idealistic thinking, the, the hard decision-making thinking has to happen. But one of the problems with the argument as you make it and the argument that, as I see it get made all the time, is it totally doesn't allow for the human component. Heidi's saying, I work two jobs. I'm, I, you know, my, I haven't had a pay increase. I'm delivering a thing. You know, so what's the answer to this person? Hey, man, we're so sorry. Maybe you need a third job, or maybe you're going to have to downsize to a one-bedroom apartment. Or, you know what, you're just not going to, you know, what, what it, where is this, the compassion for people who are not just living on the dole? They're working hard. They're trying to Oh, I, have, I have lots of compassion. I have lots of compassion. I work for a nonprofit too. And the last nonprofit I worked at, which was an orchestra, we didn't see any raises. Compassion. 
I don't mean emotional compassion. I mean uh-huh. compassion in the code. And the 99%ers failed because they didn't have a, a congealing, synthesized argument. But I'll tell you what, they're going to come back. Because at a certain point, you say, you know what? You want to be a billionaire? You want to fly a jet? You're going to have to land that jet on a runway that was paved by somebody. You're going to have to – you want food carted in for you from somewhere, the, the best, you know, uh, salmon? You're going to have to pay a fisherman to do that. You're going to have to pay a truck driver to go there. So we don't exist in a vacuum. So I want billionaires. I want a Learjet in every hangar. But at the same time, if you are a billionaire and you look out across your – I'm sitting on the 30-something floor, 40-something floor, right? And I, I think there are actual human beings down there doing things. I don't know. It's so nice to look up and see the, the, the blinking lights of the television and the Hudson off in the distance. We have to live in a community where people work together. And if you've been fortunate enough – you ever read The Richest Man in Babylon, the Claxon book? I'm sorry, what was that? What was the question? There's a, book, there's a book called The Richest Man in Babylon by, I think his name is Richard Class, and I could be getting his name wrong. But it's a no, I haven't, I haven't read it. I've heard of it. I have not read it, no. Oh, it's fantastic, and it gives everybody what they want. Everybody wins because it, it, the king brings in the richest man, and he says, you know, uh, how, you know, is it possible that everyone in my kingdom can enjoy the wealth that you've enjoyed? And he says, you know, your king, you know, king, basically paraphrasing, you, you have created this kingdom. You put up the walls to keep out the hordes and keep out things so that I could live in this safe place. And you've, you've had a, a system where I could, I could get this wealth. So it's the least I can do to share with you the way that I did it so that maybe others may prosper. And he goes, you know what? Everyone can prosper. He goes, I became wealthy by following five simple rules. And he goes, no, rule number one, and I memorized this one. I don't know the other ones, but he says, Gold, and it's all about gold, it's a metaphor and everything, gold cometh gladly and in increasing quantity to any man who will put by not less than one-tenth of his earnings to create an estate for himself and that of his children. Right? And then he goes up, you know, and then he has like the five laws, the five cures for a lean purse, or the seven cures for a lean purse, and one is stop thy purse from leaking. And so there's this thing that like, there are rules, basic laws of finance that have to be followed in order for people to be individually prosperous and in order for us as a community to, to thrive and flourish. And right now, I think Republicans are absolutely right to be screaming and yelling that we, we cannot proceed without following these rules. But I think they blow it time and time again when they don't speak to the human element. And the 47% thing is just a nail in his coffin because it's like, dude, you don't get that as a president, you must speak to people's lives and their issues. Even if you're talking to your own $50,000 donators, because I'll tell you what, if I'm paying $50,000 for a plate, I want to hear a guy who knows how to get elected. And you don't get elected by crapping on 47% of people. Well, you certainly don't get elected either by saying that um, people didn't build the business that they built and that they're somehow um, in, uh, in hoc to the government because there's a road in front of their store. Um, Sean, the, the human element, see, you've got to understand, conservatives have a different way of measuring compassion than liberals. Conservatives measure compassion by how many people no longer need government assistance, whereas liberals measure compassion by how many people are on the government dole. And I think that it's a mistake. I think it comes down to teaching people fish versus uh, giving people fish. And um, we've seen... To the president, oh, go ahead. president, you have to teach 
you have to teach. You can't just say we have to teach people and then skip over the part where you actually do the teaching. The teaching happens now in the campaigning. How are you going to govern? How are you going to communicate your value system in a way that is experienced like as in a, in a survival context by the people you wish to govern. He, I, I think it's fair to say, and we'll look at the, we'll, I mean, he's going to have to get good for the debates. And I give him credit for being able to study hard and do it. But that's his challenge in the debates. Speak to, in a way to the American people that lets them know that you don't just think that they're a bunch of freeloaders and, and you and your rich buddies are going to take it over and, 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 sh- and, and try to give us tough love. That's his challenge. What you said is right. What you said is right. Heidi, say one last thing before we jump off because the show's over. Say it one more time. Say, you, get, you, give, it, give it a thought. Actually, you know what, Jason, why don't we do it this way? Why don't you give a last thought, and then Heidi will give a thought, and then I'll wrap up the show. We've got about three minutes, so go. Uh, so, so take like 45 seconds, Jason. I, I was just going to say, I love you, love the show, love your passion. Thanks for creating a forum where we can get together as friends and talk about stuff like this. Um, but I just, I want to go back and say, you know, when we were talking about, uh, these, this, this billionaire, this billionaire, um, most of the billionaires get there by starting at the bottom and getting themselves all the way to the top on their own. The government has a responsibility to create an environment where, uh, economic prosperity can thrive, get the government off the backs. Like Reagan said, government is the problem. All right. Uh, and, and, uh, Heidi. Oh, uh, okay. I, I want you to offer a closing argument for a good hour discussion here. <laughs> okay, what I'm thinking is that, is that what the government cannot do, though, however, is forget the people who need that assistance. I, I propose that a lot of the moderates, you said that they want, that they judge what's compassion about the number of people who no longer need the program. I disagree. I think what they're judging the program is how many people they can block from the program. When you work with people every single day who are hungry, who do not have a house to live in, who do not have a place to go, uh, who do not have health insurance, who cannot, I mean, how can you get an education if you don't have a home, if you don't have food in your stomach? You can't get an education. We need, as a society, to protect these people and to protect the people who, who have these needs. I know a lot of people. When I was in college, Sean, I was on food stamps. I was on I was on housing assistance. I received um, weatherization. I now have a degree in social work with minors in psychology and sociology, and now I'm working two full-time jobs trying to turn around and help people. My philosophy and the philosophy of everyone I work with has always been: you don't if you give a person a fish, you, you, they you, they eat for a day. If you teach them how to fish, they eat for a lifetime. That is our philosophy, and that's what we, what we work with. Well, I lo- I love you so much, Heidi, and, and and Jason, I love you, man. You you guys are are really good uh, ambassadors for uh, a, 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 I wouldn't even say divergent viewpoints. I think you agree. I think it's just a question of like how to do it. And I, you know, the one thing I would take uh, exception to that you said, Jason, was just that I don't think most billionaires billionaires work themselves up from their from their you know by pulling up their bootstraps and and you know starting as a shoe shiner and end up. In, I think most billionaires likely had some really good help uh, and and, and uh, uh, came into some good money. But but anyhow, whether, whether that's true or not, you, I, I make sure you, uh, you Twitter me the, uh, the how I'm wrong because I'm always happy to hear that I'm. That I'm wrong. I, you know, this this show. I was really worried about this episode because I didn't have time to prep it properly, other than being really paying close attention all week. Um, but I, 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 we're 
this is it. This is it. This is really fantastic. I love that conversation that just went down. Um, I would invite people to go to um, – all right, so thank you, Heidi, and thank you, Jason. Uh, for And uh, please call in and please keep the Twitter conversation alive. Uh, Johnny, you can check that you can participate so we can we can hear a little bit clearer. And then I would say um, voxpopuliradio.com. If you like the conversation you just heard, if you want me to facilitate more of that, give me a hand, become a friend of the show, spend the whatever it is, 30 bucks or something, to uh, buy a bracelet and a, and a thing. I really need to hire um, some additional help with the show. And, uh, and, you know, thank you for calling in. Twitter, at Vox Populi, fantastic conversations. Please keep those going. Um, Johnny, I thanks on the board. I know this is a really tough technical show for us. Calabunga, um, dude. Yeah, man. But, th- but there, there it is. I wish everyone um, a good week of listening closely to the issues and, and, and pulling some good research, and, and we'll have a great uh, show next week as we, as we bear down on the, uh, the presidential election of 2012. Thanks, everybody. I'm Sean Aston. You're listening to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested, and I would say now more and more interested people uh, on the Toad Hop Network. Peace. Radio worth watching.